Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the Attacking Scrum podcast where Welsh rugby matters. This is your home of Judgment Day reaction and what better way to react to the weekend's Welsh derbies than putting together the two most melancholic figures of the Attacking Scrum squad. That's right, this week's podcast I'm joined by good friend of the show and top journalist Yestin George. How are you Yestin? I'm relatively chipper in my usual miserable down-tempo way. Relatively chipper. See, there was me thinking after a win for the Dragons and for the Ospreys that we were going to be like cannon and bloody ball tonight. But, yeah, uh, I, there was a lot. There was a lot of stuff I wasn't happy with uh, uh, in the middle of that victory. I have to say. <laughs> well, I wouldn't. I wouldn't want it any other way. Um, we got all the action covered here, so stick with us for loads of analysis to Judgment Day. We'll have a preview to the European playoff, which will be coming up in a few weeks. And can you believe it? Gatlin will be naming his training squad for the Rugby World Cup this week. So we're going to have a look into that too. And a quick word for our sponsors before we get underway. That's our good friends at So Coffee Trades. If you've not listened before, fantastic young business run by the Ospreys hooker, Scott Otten, uh, who I um, who I hopefully will be catching up with soon. And uh, yeah, if you want to get your hands on some top quality coffee, then why not do that by downloading the So Coffee app and you get yourself 15% off there as well. So. Right, first part of the show is the Judgment Day reaction. Uh, we're not going to do this as fact or fiction as we as we do sometimes. We're just going to have a, a chat about it and see uh, see what each of us made of uh, of the games that we witnessed this weekend. So a big victory, an important victory for the Ospreys yesterday. But I'm guessing that you weren't necessarily that impressed. How uh, how do you assess that game? Yeah, it was very difficult to assess in a without being slightly overwrought about it in time, mm. at, at, at certain points. I think uh, evidently, although being both yellow carded, um, Corey Allen and, and Dan Evans mm. uh, made the 
cemented their positions as kind of uh, low-key heroes in that squad this season. Uh, I think that there were some um, sort of notable notable uh, contributions from Blues players as well. Uh, obviously, Nick Williams was at the heart of everything. And the thing that we kept on discussing constantly was the idea of whether that was um, whether it was possibly a kind of number nine off for uh, for squad places, um, and whether Lloyd, you know, is still has a shout, which obviously Mr. Click has quite strong opinions about. Um, yeah, exactly. He's done done taking the week off to. Uh, to stroke his Lloyd Williams poster, I think, in his room. Um, but yeah, he, he obviously is a big fan of, of Lloyd Williams. Let's stick with the Ospreys for the moment, though. We're definitely going to yes. have a return to the, return to the squads in the second part of the show. But while we're talking about that, Alan Davis, how have you assessed him and how he's, he's settled into the Ospreys this season? I, th- I think he's played okay. I mean, he's obviously, okay. he's a good player, but, um, I just, I honestly, I honestly can't see much form or, or structure outside him. Mm. And I think that's not helped him in any way, shape or form. I, I, my, there were moments yesterday that I just didn't understand what, what, what the Ospreys were trying to do. And even whether they had, they knew what they were trying to do. I, I find it bewildering that you just, you kind of look left, look right, and then just lump it up in the air in a because you know you're going to get smothered by the defenders at any second. And Sam Davis, a lot of the time, I just didn't seem to be in control of the game in any way, shape, or form, in my view. Obviously, you know, he did the job uh, in terms of securing victory, but I, I just I find it. I've had it just bewildering um, all season. I've just the, be- the the only time the Ospreys look danger dangerous is when there's a counter attack on, or the or the game breaks down, and something somebody takes the initiative. Uh, and often, obviously, Dan Evans has been the player that's done that more often than not. So I find it, I just find it almost. Bewildering that they've managed to win through that with such a sort of shapeless, patternless way of playing behind the behind the scrum. Well, yeah, I mean that is that's one thing. I guess what counters that is up front. I think the pack is starting to look a bit more of a formidable Ospreys pack when everyone's fit in there. I think you look at the the spine of that of that pack and you've got some very big contributors in there. You know, I, I think you look at obviously in the back row, Tipperick, as we've come to expect, Alan Wynne Jones, there's nothing that hasn't already been said about him. But in the front row, for me, I think Nicky Smith is becoming an absolute powerhouse for the Ospreys and for Wales. And I think he's, you know, he's uh, he's starting to approach the peak of his powers now. He he looked uh, he looked such a menace, didn't he, at the yeah. breakdown yesterday? I mean, apart from the fact that he won, was it three ball, three balls or penalties at least? Uh, he even when he wasn't doing that, he was still a menace and a pest, and clearly can hold his own. I, he's, I, my personal opinion is that he's a he's a personality away from being ahead of Rob Evans, and that's hell of a personality. Yeah, that, that, it's it's a personality that 
that needs to be uh, be appreciated beyond playing power. I think in with in terms of Rob Evans's uh, character and uh, refusal to go to, to sort of go quietly in any way in any direction. To be honest, and, and uh, if Nicky Smith could develop some of that, although. There are plenty of ways that, to play the game, and he doesn't necessarily have to do that, but it does feel as if in, in a Welsh front row there has to be some a demonstrative force, uh, and Ken is, is, is that to a certain extent, but more of a leader than a mm. should-be mouthy guy. There needs, there needs to be plenty of chip, you know, there needs to be a chippy element in that pack to really, but he's been fantastic for the Ospreys, and and that's with, uh, you know, even Baldwin looked apart, aside from giving penalties away for fun, looked like a player who's kind of almost liberated by the fact that he knows he's not going to be around next season. And Cracknell has been along, not as not as obviously, uh, not as obviously uh, kind of effective as Dan Evans or, or Corey Allen, but he's been. Um, he's been he's been really good this season. I think he's he's a solid solid player. So there's a, there is a lot of positive stuff to be going on with. But I just I just yeah you know, I I just I'm still bewildered slightly at the, their ability to win games when they don't seem to have any sense of control of them other than just to hike it to the opposition. Go go on, see what you can do. Yeah, and you know, it's quite strange because I guess if there's a backline that you don't particularly want to be doing that to or kicking loosely, really, it's the it's the Cardiff backline because they have, you know, some really fantastic strike runners in there, and you know they they play some really exciting rugby on the break. That said, they did get the result, mm. the Ospreys, and in a way that is, you know, that of course that is the most important thing I think, particularly financially. If you fast forward to next season, Gareth Anscombe is going to be there for the big games, presumably at 10. Do you think we can expect to see a big change in the way the Ospreys play? I really hope so. I really do, because you look at the lineup. Mm. It's, it's, it's a, there are potential there. Watching George North being so underused or, or underemployed or, or what it, I don't know whether it was instruction or whether it, it just didn't get to the ball on it in his hands and he went looking for it as well. Uh, it, it's, it's, if you think of Davis, Anscombe, uh, Watkin, Williams, North, Evans and, you know, Giles, I would, Pick on one wing, or you obviously you've got um, you've got Luke Morgan as well. You've got that's pretty that's pretty exciting. And I just kept on thinking, I wonder if George wished he was still at Northampton because there was no structure in the way that there was never a chance that he was going to get one on one, or he was always given the ball in either in his own twenty-two or he's given it in traffic. Uh, I just wonder. I just wonder what he what he must think. <laughs> yeah. I, I I know I'm renowned for being miserable, and I'm pretty much fulfilling my obligations hugely. Oh, and I might even up to the bill tonight. I might I might have just I might have just missed it, or I might have just I don't know. I really don't. And there was it was also quite odd watching it on TV, where it sounded like 
everybody's just having a bit of a chat. I know that it was probably very different mm. in the stadium. Well, but it was absolutely, it was, it was remarkable how it sounded like, like that all through the game. It was just bonkers. Yeah, well, I, I was, I was there yesterday with, um, with the mighty Murph and we, and we watched the game and it was definitely a, um, it was a stark contrast to the atmosphere that was there for any of the, for any of the Six Nations games. It was, it, do you know what? It did feel like a bit of a murmur. There were times when, um, you know, I think particularly towards the end of the, towards the end of the Dragons game, uh, that, you know, that it started to, to come to life, um, at points in that. And there were points where it became, a bit more than just a, yeah, like a, a murmur, but yeah, at times it did feel a little bit like a, you know, the, the background noise of a babbling brook. Um, yeah, yeah you know, it's, it, it's a really strange one, Judgment Day, because I think it's, it's great. I don't know what the official attendance was, 53, 54, I think, something like that. And, you know, it's really good because you hope you're attracting a new set of fans to come in and watch it. I still have that inkling that it should be at the start of the season. Because ultimately, you know, if the Dragons had started the season with a win like that, I think they'd have they'd have sold a couple of hundred extra season tickets off the back of it. And now it'll be completely forgotten about, really, because you've got, you know, you've got the the whole summer and the World Cup in between. So it does still feel to me like they're they're missing a trick. So you know, it's great to have that number of people watching it, but the whole point about bringing in a, a wider audience is so that they'll come back and watch it at other points during the season. So yeah. to me, it still feels a bit odd that it's at the end of the season. And that I think contributes, yeah, contributes to the, the kind of the, the slightly, yeah, yeah, the, the kind of, yeah, the, the murmuring sound rather than it being kind of an electric atmosphere. Did you think, um, bearing in mind, you've talked a lot about your concerns about, the Blues front five. Mm. Um, did, did that? What did you make of that yesterday? Because obviously, as you say, the Ospreys pack looks like a fairly, um, you know, powerful unit potentially next yeah. season. But did you did you feel? Do you still feel the Blues are going to be? Yeah, I, find I think it very that's definitely their their weakness, and they do have a backline that can that can play without ball. It's kind of Murph commented on this yesterday and he said they're almost like a, a slightly pale imitation of the Scarlets when they were in their pomp, you know, um, last season. And what they were able to do very well um, was, you know, was to turn over ball and, and be absolutely deadly with it. And when Cardiff play their best, they can do that. But I think what the Scarlets had in addition to that is they had a, you know, they have a really strong type five that they can rely on in the set piece in particular. And, Cardiff don't have that right now. I think particularly if you look at the starting lineup yesterday, you know, I think Reese Gill, as good a servant as he is, he's probably past his best now, I think. You know, I think he's 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 not the same player that he was when he was at Sarries. You know, in the in the hooker department, Ethan Lewis and and Kirby Myhill, they're good squad players, but they're not necessarily part of a part of a front row that's, that's going to necessarily cause a huge amount of concern for the opposition. You know, you've got Dylan Lewis, who is a, you know, he's a real talent. You've got Arhip, who's kind of not played a huge amount this season. And that, you know, that's just the front row. Then you're into the second row and you've got, you know, two really bright talents in Thornton and, and Seb Davis. 
But again, I just feel like you're missing some real needle and, you know, an out and out bastard in there. And that's something that I think um, that, I, that I think they're missing. So for me, I think I think, you know, two, five and cover at eight is is really what the Blues should be, should be investing their money in ahead of next season rather than, you know, some some very talented outside backs. I'd love to see like an advert, situations vacant, out and out bastard, um, in the Western <laughs> Mail. <laughs> Mock yeah. up an advert. That's it. It's yeah. true. It's true though. It's definitely true. That's it. Wanted, know. out yeah. and out bastard. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it it does it does feel like that's that's what they're missing. I think. And um, yeah, it you know yeah, they find themselves in this strange position. And obviously, I'm sure Project Reset's had something to do with it, but. You know, Anscombe going late, this kind of late switch to the Ospreys will have freed up whatever it is, 300, 350 grand in the budget. And you can't help but look at that and think, God, you know, if if it hadn't been so late in the season, you could go out there and 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 pick off one of these bastards. But that's not going to that's not going to be the case now. And they've also lost Reese Carey in the process, who, you know, I know he's still young and raw, but he is one almighty talent. And yeah. Um, yeah, you know, Murph ended up in Cardiff RFC after the game, and uh, I think he said he got dangerously close to uh, <laughs> to Big Reese, and uh, hopefully someone managed to intervene because uh, Murph's got an unhealthy obsession with him. But um, you know, you can you can see why because he is such a fantastic player, and there's so much. I, I think there's so much raw ability there, particularly with ball in hand. And yeah, you know, he's going to have some tough scrummaging days ahead of him, I'm sure, but. He, car- he carries like Billy Vanapola. Yeah, well, I, I, my just to be, I know I'm, I'm just cringing now at the thought of Murph collaring me the next time I see him. But Saracens might be the making of him, mightn't it? Well, yeah, you, we did discuss that actually, and I, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be surprised, you know, in a way. And um, particularly because they found this, I think they found a, a loophole in the. Um, in the small print, as it were, that means that he would still be eligible for Wales because he's never been involved in a squad before. Which I mean, which is ridiculous in itself. But if that is the case, insane. It is insane. I mean, it's it's absolutely bizarre. Um, but if that is the case, then you know he he does have an opportunity to go and train with some top class coaches, and you know, in a, a squad full of full of fantastic talent and you know they they obviously see something in him they obviously see an awful amount in him and um it's not hard to see what it is but you know training with training with that mob i think is is going to be is going to be hugely beneficial to him uh, but that said looking at it from you know from cardiff blues perspective it, it, it leaves them light in that department it really does and you know yeah. they're going to they're going to end up having to look at whoever the next young cab off the rank is. And that's a, yeah, that's a tough ask, I think. So I know. I do, well, I, I, I Azarat, for them again next season. And Azarati was obviously the, the, you know, he was the, the heir apparent until Carey turned up, didn't, wasn't he? And I don't know whether they rate Azarati as highly as they did two years ago now. Yeah, I'm not sure quite what's happened with Kieran Azarati, whether there's been some injury or, or not. That's, to be honest, yeah, it's one I haven't... Um, I've kind of uh, kind of forgotten about it a little bit, but um, mm. yeah, you know that might that might well have to be have to be the case. And obviously, Bradley Thiers around the 
I, I can never remember which one's a tight head, whether it's Thayer or Azarati, but, you know, I think they're, they're going to have to rely on youngsters yet again. And it's good because they'll get exposure, but again, in terms of the, the competitiveness of, of the league and in those, in those big fixtures, that's where, um, the other sides, the, the big European sides and the Irish provinces, that's where they make it count. So, yeah, you know, I, I think it showed again yesterday, to be honest. And I think they, what they really missed is in, in addition to that type five not being as strong as perhaps it should be in the back row, they're missing, you know, they're missing, uh, Ellis Jenkins. They're missing, uh, Josh Navidi. And, you know, as, as good a game as, as Turnbull had and Nick Williams was outstanding and Ollie Robinson dependable as always. I just think that players have had to move around a bit. If you, if you're able to put Turnbull back into that second row, adding that bit of niggle and, and experience and the odd bonus turnover he's able to provide there. And you've got another fetcher in, in Ellis Jenkins or you've got just the, the out and out class that Navidi brings, then I think that, that might have tilted the, the balance a little bit more. So in a way it's, but you know, all of these things come down to, to having a, a strong squad and every single one of these Welsh regions, in my opinion, doesn't have a squad that's strong enough to take on the biggest sides in the league and the biggest sides in Europe. No. I mean, that's where the, we're all heading towards who's going to be in, you know, in the, in, in the Heineken, you know, who's going to be, who's going to be in the top two. And, and you would fear for all those teams, mm. wouldn't you? Yeah, I, I think you would. And it's, it's hard to see past that because evidence has suggested in, in the past decade, really, that we have struggled to compete with the exception of, of one year from, from Cardiff Blues and, and, and one year from, from Scarlet. So it, it can be done, but I think your recruitment has to be absolutely spot on. And I know that's a, you know, it's, it's kind of more of a, a football term, but it's, it is very much found its way into rugby now. The sheer number of injuries and time spent on the sidelines and fatigue and international call-ups means you have to have a very strong squad. And if you don't get those recruitments absolutely right, particularly with the money that the Welsh regions have at their disposal, which is considerably less than, than the Irish provinces and the English sides and, the, and certainly the French sides, you, you have to be incredibly smart, which we've said before, Scarlet's did really, really well, you know, going right the way back to Jake Ball up to Tyke Byrne and, and John Barkley. And they've, they've made those recruits that have really strengthened the squad and then having the, the younger talent around them has meant they were able to compete and, and to bring home silverware and to, and to give Europe a, a good run. But if you don't get it absolutely right, and I think Project Reset hasn't helped that this season for any of the sides, mm. then I think you're going to struggle. So I think we could we could see another tough season ahead for all four sides, really. So you're dragging me down yesterday. Yeah, that was I know, I know. And I want, to, I want to ask you one more dragging down question as well, which is the Anskin thing. Do you, do you see, just going back to, mm. do you see this? Would you be having a quiet word in Anskin's ear going, are you sure, mate? Or, uh, or would you be just saying, no, no, this, this is all fine. This could be fine. I think, you know, I mean, I, I wouldn't be having a word in his ear because, you know, once a, once a player's made up his mind, he's made up his mind, yeah. I think. And it would be very difficult for him to, for him to go back on that, even if contractually it was, he was able to do that. But what I think, um, what I think is that you will see more out of the Ospreys backline next season. We've said this a number of times. You look at how Matt Sherritt was coaching the 
Cardiff Blues backs. And they, you know, they had some really eye catching performances during that time. I've looked at their sides this season and it has been really ugly to watch at times. It has got them in that position, which you have to say kind of hats off. That's, that's the most important thing for, you know, certainly financially. But I wonder whether they've been playing in such a restrictive way because the coaches have looked at that squad and thought, we don't have a 10 who's able to, who's able to pull the strings and, enable in order for us to play that that more expansive rugby and Anscombe obviously does have the the capability to do that so I I can't imagine for one second we're going to see the Ospreys next season with him stood 20 yards behind Alan Davis or behind the back foot hoofing the ball up in the air there's no point buying him doing that I just think that this season they have done it out of necessity and the personnel that they've got at their disposal so this time around, I, I, I think he'll slot in there. And I think you might well see a bit more from the Ospreys next season. Well, you'd, you'd have to, wouldn't you? But, you know, it's, uh, that's the optimistic way of looking at it, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about another 10, though, and while, we're, while we wrap up on the, on the Cardiff Blues game. Because I think we saw kind of the, the strengths and the weaknesses of Jared Evans yesterday. And he's a player who, he might be my... Him and Finn Russell are the two players, I think, right now that I get most excited about watching. And, you know, you could, you could add Bowden Barrett into that mix as well. But there's something about Russell and Evans kind of playing in, in weaker sides, you know, certainly not playing for, for the All Blacks, but they, there seems to be a fearlessness with both of them that I get really, really excited by. I think there's certainly an intelligence of seeing what's going on in front of them and, and, a, and a desire to, to hit the hit the gas and get through get through those gaps but then the game management I think is perhaps not quite there yet with Jared Evans was keen to get your take on it as a as a man who who loves a a running outside half yeah I love I I love the fact that there were people in the room my mother was shouting why is he running across the pitch all the time he's squeezing out his centres and I was going that's how we used to do it in Swansea in the 1980s. And, and that's how Gav started. You know, do yeah, you remember they used really. to complain about Gav running across his centres? And, but I, I think he's, uh, he's a, I also like, I, there's something about, I like his look as well mm. for some reason. Um, he's reminds me of a, uh, he could have been in the wild one alongside Marlon Brando with like a leather motorbike cap and a leather jacket. Uh, you know, uh, uh, what are you, you know, what are you rebelling, rebelling against? What have you, <laughs> what got? you got? You know, uh, that kind of thing. I, he's, I, I know that's a bit of, it's about there to think of it, but that's how I see Jared Evans is one of those guys, you know, he's one of, or on the waterfront, standing there with a, standing, he's got the kind of look of a 1950s pugilist, you know, sort of, I know he's small, but. Yeah, see, I, I can't get past they, the height. I, I yeah, I know. Like no, no, no. Just look at his profile. Look at his profile. He's got almost like an Arnold Palmer <laughs> style style quiff as well. That 1950s like, Street Fighting Man he is. But that's think, what I think. Well, that's yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah. much more complimentary than what I was going to say because I see him more like a Victorian street urchin. Uh, you know, a little no, Dickensian no, no. sneak thief. He should be one of one of uh, Fagin's gang or something with a with that. It's brilliant. He's got that Can you imagine face. him? 
He's got yeah, he's definitely roguish, but I think of it more as a, a, a you know a stevedore in a you know in a nineteen black and white nineteen fifties American movie, you know, or a, you know something the strike breakers with a you know with a with a with one of those what do they call them those hooks those terrible hooks that fishermen have anyway. Yeah. So um, he is. He wasn't at the rate. You know, he wasn't at his best yesterday. But there were still moments when he he bought himself that space outside, almost almost taking the thirteens sort of slot. And, and if it weren't, wasn't for a kind of intervention from Nick Williams mm. and other other players, then he would have been. I, th- I think that they would have recognised him stamping his authority on the game. And I, that's the one thing that I don't think, again, aside from Dan Evans, I don't think anybody looked like anything remotely like that in the Ospreys back line. Mm. He's a, he's a, I, I, I just want him to develop and I think certainly certain players, it, it, players like that are not necessarily going to be game controllers. That's why they're, they're what they are. And we have to start recognising you. You can't beat somebody up for, you know, it would be the same thing as saying, you know, why isn't he four foot, four inches taller? Mm. He's just not. And we've got to, you know, that's the way it is. I don't think he's a flash in the pan sort of player who's going to uh, have a couple of good seasons and then uh, perhaps Matthew Morgan it, as it were, you know, uh, uh, be, be a less effective player. There's still time. Player. There's still time. There is still time. Yeah. And I, I just, yeah, I, I I would love him to be toe-to-toe with Patchell, toe-to-toe with the other, te- the, the next generation of tens. He looks, he, he, he just looks, yeah, he, he always makes the most of, uh, the players around him as well, I think. It, 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 the, it, the Blues did look, everybody put their hands on the ball, so he might well be looking sometimes like he's running sideways in a, uh, with no real in, intent or no real idea, but he makes a decision every time, and it just doesn't always come off, and that's okay, I think. Well, you've I think got in, a, to... in a time when you've got such prescribed back moves and well you know certainly defenses are so are so savvy to 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 preordain moves and they know what to look for that actually that level of unpredictability that he that he brings and sometimes that is through jog, jogging sideways across the pitch can just pull one or two defenders out of the out of line and when that happens they've got the they've got the backs around them to be able to to be able to punch it as that first try demonstrated you know in the in the opening five minutes or so some of the handling was absolutely fantastic and, and the finish from Anscombe was superb. But again, it was all kind of started in, started in their own half. And that's the kind of player that I, that I think he, he is, you know, that's what he, he does bring out the best in, in the backs around him. I, I don't feel yeah. like he, I don't feel like he, he crabs the players outside him, even when he is wandering. I feel like he creates room for someone somewhere. And yeah, I, I, he's such an exciting talent. I think that, it's going to be fantastic that he gets a, a good run at it at, at ten. Although you, you could argue that he's, you know, that he's been picked ahead of Anscombe at ten at, at club for for you know over a season. So he's an exciting prospect. But the, yeah, the game management thing is the thing that has to come with it because there are going to be tight games and games where he's lashing it down where you're not going to get that opportunity to run. But yeah, hell of a talent. Absolutely agreed. 
Good stuff. Right, loads more still to come, including our preview of the European playoff. We're going to have a look at the Dragons and Scarlets game as well. And we'll also have a bit of a prediction uh, ahead to Warren Gatlin's training squad. And all of that is coming up after this very short break. Right then, time to talk about the Dragons. And uh, I've done well holding it in for half an hour, I think, Yestin. But I have to say, I was delighted to be there for that one yesterday. And even more delighted for the, the Dragons faithful who go week in, week out. And we were sat, as my cousin Ross described, in the posh seats up in the second tier. And I did have a look down to the uh, to where the bulk of the, the Scarlet's fan, uh, sorry, Scarlet's, the Dragons fans were congregated, uh, which was... Which is down on the, by the halfway line, uh, in the, in the lower tier. And when that final whistle went, there was absolute elation in there. And it's just absolutely fantastic because Dragons fans have had nothing to cheer for a very, very long time. I think the win against the Ospreys, uh, over the festive period would have helped as well. But I don't know, just that little glimmer of hope ahead of next season. And it, it shows that this side can be competitive and can get a result when things you know when they get that bit of that bit of luck and for me now the emphasis just all comes on getting that coaching appointment right because there are some really good young players there and you know we've we've said it before the squad isn't going to be as isn't going to be as strong as even the other squads in Wales but if there is someone who can come in and add that that level of structure and help some of the coaches who are there already yeah, just being competitive, I think most Dragons fans would would take. It's bad, isn't it? Um, thinking along these lines, right? But imagine if Rob Baxter was in charge of mm. Dragons. Yeah. Uh, this, it's not beyond the round. I'm not saying it's beyond. It is beyond the rounds of possibility that he would be. But it's the, the that's Exeter were not a team full of. They still are not. No, they're not. Yeah. Full of absolute nailed-on uh, international class players. No, and I think it's been shrewd signings coupled with young talent from from Cornwall and Devon, and you know, yeah, the odd the odd couple of you know smattering of of internationals into the mix also, and that that for me is is the blueprint of how. Of how things are, you know, how things have got to be done. Now, don't get me wrong; their budget now is still much bigger than mm. than the Dragons. But that said, you know, when they came up from from the Championship, it wasn't. Yeah, there's just been some fantastic stability in that club and a real ethos in how to build a a side from bottom up. And we have to think like that in Wales. And yes, there might there might be a bit of money coming in soon if this CVC investment does go on. But I would really like to see that go into the the infrastructure of the of the side and creating more sustainable model, you know, where we're able to bring through young talent and make these sides competitive and and think clever rather than blowing it all on one or two big marquee signings. And the other thing I think to mention in again with Exeter is the will and you mentioned the fact that they had a captive market uh, to a certain extent mm. and, um, and a crowd that was hysterical uh, and enthusiastic and 
in a way, you go back to Jackman's appointment and the fact that he his messaging was always about this idea of creating a creating a a culture that mm. meant meant a sort of emotional investment from the sidelines, from the players themselves, and a community based thing. And I think that that is not the reason that Exeter are the team, the force they are, but it's certainly a significant part of it. And I. I, that's just like something you can't put on a spreadsheet, you know. It's got nothing to do with uh, nothing to do with you know business focused mm. double double speak. It's just it's it's kind of a will really from everyone involved to make something happen. Oh, and absolutely. I just wonder, and I wonder, I, I just would love to see that even if it was. Oh God, we're going back now to sort of the mentality Neath had in their at their peak mm. as a club when they were just horrible. But they were they, they it was horrible going to them. It was horrible playing them. It was horrible to be <laughs> you know uh, in the opposition support. It was and it but it was hugely culturally they they were they they dominated the domestic game in Wales for a much longer period than probably a lot of teams did it during that era purely because of that but I think that was part of it and I just wonder whether the whether Dragons somehow can some, can take some of that inspiration because I think the player this, you look at the players and you just see players who are prepared to put everything on the line all the time there's there has been there have been periods in in dragon's history when it you can see there have been flaky elements to it and i just you just don't see that anymore really and that you're the you know it's your region it's Mm. your club or whatever and do you think that would you where would you look for an appointment that could that could make perhaps that could make things happen that also was that, but also kept that sort of, or even recognised the need to build that sort of culture within the place. I think I think there is a there is a recognition of that, and I if you were to ask any any successful business person how important culture is, I, I think they would turn around and tell you that it, that it is, and. Dragons couldn't, you know, don't need to look any further afield than than David Buttress as someone who's been hugely successful at business. And yeah, I don't know him personally, but I can't imagine that he's built something like Justy purely on the grounds of purely on the grounds of, you know, spotting the opportunity and running it ruthlessly numbers wise. You have to you have to have a real strong culture that people are able to flourish from within there. And. I, I don't see why sports clubs aren't any different. In fact, more so because it's a, it's an occupation where you do have the opportunity to go out and express yourself. And particularly if you've got, you know, you've got creative players who are going to want to show what they're capable of and you've got players, you know, you, you actually have to put your body on the line for, for these, for these games. And these are the things that I think do bring out those those one or two extra percents, you know, and you look at, at something like, you know, like Dave Brailsford has done with with British Cycling, with Team Sky and putting to side any, you know, any um, 
scandals that, that may have, have happened in the last couple of years. One thing you can't argue with is that that mentality of the the incremental games. You know, if you do everything, you do everything 1% better, it has a massive positive impact on, on what you're able to achieve as a collective. And that's the kind of way that the Dragons have to think and have to believe. And in a way, I, I, I think Jackman was, was keen to bring that, that way of thinking in. But what he wasn't able to do was to back it up by way of coaching and, and his, his role as a, as a head coach. So I'm sure there is a, there is a, a need to, not just a need, but I'm sure they acknowledge that of the Dragons, that they need to get that right from a cultural perspective as well as from a rugby perspective. But what I really think they, they need there now is, is strong coaching and someone who's able to tighten things up and, and really shore up the set piece because, and, you know, basic skills. Cause it, again, at times yesterday, there was plenty of heart, but overthrows from Elliot D that he wouldn't have done if he was in the Wales side and, you know, simple passes between the backs that were, you know, there was a lot of Barnes Wallace passes going on and, that's not that's that's the kind of thing that that can cost you these games, but they're very very simple things to sort out. So I think with the right coaching appointment, it it is fixable. But I agree, alongside that, there has to be there has to be a, a dressing of the of the culture, and and I think Kerry Jones has probably done that bit. Actually, has done it very very well, and I think the players do want to play for him. But it's now about taking it up to that next level and having a coach who's able to to do it for every, you know, to, to really move things forward and, and make a, a difference on a, on a weekly basis. If that's not too rambling. Gatlin for the Dragons then. Well, you know, we all know, we all know what he's, what he's able to do. That is what he does well. And that's what you've, that's what you're looking to find is you're looking to find that next, you know, the, the kind of a young mini Gatland is, is what you're after. Mm. Of course it is. You know, it's, that, that's what he's done so well. Is build a is build a mentality. You and we said this before. You look at Wales now, and I don't think they really fear anyone. And for a long time, yes, you knew we struggled mentally against the Southern Hemisphere, but actually, Gatland from the early stages meant that we we didn't fear anyone in the in the Six Nations. You know, England away was not a was not a fixture that we that we feared, and and it isn't now. And that's the thing that you've got to get into. Dragons, you've got to build these things in steps. But next season, make like you know, like you're saying about Neath, you know, going to the Knoll was a hideous thought for the opposition, and that's what you want Rodney to be again. You know, it used to be that kind of fortress, and it isn't anymore. But it has to. You have to start there. You have to address that. Get to that first milestone of making it a difficult place to go. Target every every home game has to be a cup final, and then you know, getting rid of this getting rid of this hoodoo of not having won a won an away game for four years. Huh. All of these things, you've got to tick them off one by one. They're those milestones that you've got to do. And, and if you're able to do that, the self-belief will come from them. And yes, the squad is, is not going to, is not as strong as, uh, as most sides in the league, but it still has underachieved for, for over a decade. And, and it, it's got to be addressed now. And I think it, I've said this before, this coaching appointment really is where the future of the Dragons lives or dies, I think. And do you think that 
Where does this leave, the, like, the fact that that sounded like you were giving a speech from another plucky defeat in that? You know, it did, really, didn't it? Yeah. But uh, it's, it's been uh, the end of a tough season. Yeah. Um, but but the, the, does, does that measure up against your lack of... Uh, or the, the fact that the Scarlets let... Do you think they let themselves down or that, that this is an inevitable end of season for the Scarlets or...? Uh, I, I don't know. I think it's one where yeah, I think the Scarlets did let themselves down. They should have won that game, really. They showed they showed in glimpses that they were a better side than the Dragons. You know, that ability to pull a couple of tries out the bag. I think that that shows the difference in the two sides, generally speaking. But when they took their foot off the pedal, as they did a couple of times during the game, they let the dragons back into it, and that's where that's where the game was won and lost. I think. So, yeah, you know, I think that's it was definitely in no small part down to to Scarlet's not not performing particularly well, but you know, you've still got to be able to to turn up and do it. So, I do think that the dragon you know, the dragons should be taking positives from that, undoubtedly, because that's the result that no one no one really would have predicted. So actually getting that and to, in a way that's that first milestone you know this is that this has to be the building block now and whether it's Kerry in charge or it's a new coach they have to kind of start from this and go right you've seen you are able to topple sides but here's how we can build on those performances and tightening up the set piece and and not missing soft tackles and building on the things that they're good at this side can be a lot better than it than it's shown this season and and for the, for the decade that's gone before and with um, regard to sort of being in the stadium as well mm. yesterday, was was there and sort of negative PVAC mutterings? Yeah, there, there was definitely, and I think the it's it's inevitable, really. Yeah, that I had a lot of people say, you know, particularly when the when the intercept try was thrown, I had a few people say, oh, yes, Wayne PVAC's the next Wales coach, and. You know, it's a little bit harsh, particularly in that instance, because anyone can throw an intercept pass. You know, that can happen to that can happen to the best players in the world. But it, it's definitely disappointing their season. There's no doubt about it. I suppose the the worrying thing from a from a Wales perspective is that Pivac's biggest strength, I think, has been in leading the leading the recruitment charge. You know, I think that these uh, they've bought on the right players at the right time and that really has enhanced the squad but you know he's, he is there on merit in terms of what they achieved last season and the season before I do think there has been an element of distraction this season I don't think they got their recruitment right they've had hideous injury problems so for the, for the Scarlets now it's it's one big game which I know we're going to talk about in a bit but it's one very very big game and then it's it's a brand new coach to come in with a, a new set of coaches around him and looking to to impart his style onto the onto the team and looking to build it in his mould, you know, it's probably it's a big double on the line now. And you know, you you clean clean slate, start a new page, and I think that's 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 what will happen. That's what will happen next season. Pivac just has to get these players together now and and get a result if um, if he's gonna um, if he's gonna get them into Europe. But I, I don't th- I don't think his legacy will be damaged. At the Scarlets, you know, because I think he will fundamentally be judged by the 
but the performances of the the league winning season and the the final and the semi final that they got to last season. So, but it, you know, look, it's always it's always going to be difficult to back those seasons up, isn't it? So, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you have to remember that. Yeah, they, they were the best regional team of all time not so long ago. Yeah, and also the most exciting regional side by, you know, by a mile, even if, even if they, you could argue they weren't the best one. They were definitely the most exciting team that Wales had produced in, in the regional age. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it's, it's inevitable, isn't it, that you're going to have peaks and troughs. And I think it's a, it's a shame for him that he's had a disappointing season to finish on. He's got a monster task ahead of him by way of taking on the Wales job, because I think even if we were saying this off air earlier, you know, even if Wales was to crash out of the group stages, Gatlin's legacy in, in charge of Wales is going to be a, an incredibly, an incredibly successful one. You know, he's been, he's been in charge for for eleven years and brought success that that we certainly wouldn't have imagined back in two thousand and seven. So he's got a very very tough act to follow. He inherits an incredibly good set of players and. We're going to see how good Wayne Pavak is as a coach once he's get the job. Once he's got the job, so you know I'm I'm keen not to judge him too early because he you know he hasn't had a hasn't had a chance to you know he's not Wales coach yet, but you know he's he's going to have to start learning to live with with that expectation and yeah, it's a, a big big challenge ahead of him. Yeah, absolutely, couldn't agree more. And but do, uh, you know, and it's too early to talk about changes for next season or anything like that because like as you say they've got a they've got a killer match to to look forward to they have and yeah i suppose a little, a, you know, a little bit of a little bit of luck in terms of that because it was in their it was in their hands if they'd managed to beat the dragons which they didn't the glasgow result meant that they've they've got that fourth spot huge game now though and it, unfortunately it does say a lot for how the regions have performed this season that you know the the big kind of knockout game is is essentially to see which one side is going to end up in Europe. But that said, how much do you think the the home advantage of playing at the Liberty might be for uh, for the Ospreys? I think yeah, it will be significant, and I think there's there's a sense of momentum with Ospreys that they know that they can close games out now, and they've they've been able to win regularly win ugly mm. uh, and that's not what Scarlets do they're, they're, they've not been able to do that it, I would just love it to be one of those odd games where you know t- both teams go at it t- completely and utterly uh, but it just doesn't feel it feels like two teams that know where they are and feel comfortable in in, in the positions they are, you know, Ospreys feel comfortable in their position, and I think maybe Scarlets have will will they will really struggle to bring back the spirit of twenty, you know, twenty seventeen. Mm-hmm. I, I think it would just be a, that's just a, it's a bit idealistic to think that suddenly they could pull a massive result out, out the bag or a massive performance. They they could win, of course, um, but. Uh, but it's not. It's. It feels like. It feels like the story is already half written, and Scarlet's used to completely 
overturn those kind of things with like the game against Leinster and other games where you just thought, how on earth did they do that? Um, I just, I, I, they could, they could somehow do it. Uh, at liberty, no doubt, because Ospreys are not f- a, f- a phenomenal team. They're not going to be hold- holding Scarlets by the throat, but I just can't, I just find it very difficult to to imagine um, to imagine them cutting loose and winning. I can imagine them maybe lo- winning, you know, uh, by a single point in a in a very nerve jangling game or something. But I, ca- I can't see it being um, I can't see it being. Scarlett's coming out and scoring five tries and and um, you know and, and and blowing Ospreys away. I mean, the difficulty is, is their away form has been really poor all season, actually. And the the particularly worrying thing, I think, is when it has gone wrong away from home, there've been some pretty bad results there. You know, you look you look back a, a few weeks to the to Cardiff Blues game and they were they were just blown away there mm. and you know technically yesterday was an away game and they certainly would put a, a defeat to Dragons as a as a bad result so yeah they've not been able to they've not been able to cut it away from home which has been the the big big difference from from the the season before so I, I, that's where I think it is a, a very big disadvantage to them um, playing away from home but uh, you know that's the that's the way it goes. They're going to have to pull something out of the bag. Um, yeah, winning ugly. I suppose. I suppose it is going to be one of those games, isn't it? So uh, there's, uh, there's so much on the line that you think it's a bit of. You'd expect it to be a nip and tuck, penalties. Who can get the the set piece right kind of game? I agree. It'd be, it'd be nice to to see a bit more, but that's very much what I expect to see in that game. Yeah, it's. Um, I think. Ospreys, Ospreys have an ability to, to will will have the, the the elements that scholars take advantage of at the say the breakdown or when it's a bit looser uh, or or uh, uh, I think Ospreys have the ability to shut those elements shut those aspects of their game down. At the moment, they wouldn't have had a chance to do that eighteen months ago. Not a ghostly, but they they can It feels like they can They could do now. And that's why I think you'd you'd have to fancy Ospreys quite heavily, really. Yeah, I, I, I think so. And uh, you know, it's, it's it's just such a big game that I I can see it. That tendency is then that, that both sides kind of close up. Potentially, maybe the Scarlets will look at it and think, well, we're not going to go into this as as favourites. And if we are to get something out of this, we're going to have to to revert back to kind of back to old, you know, and I think yeah, maybe Blade Thompson might be might be fit then, which I think gives them a, a boost in the back row. So you know, there there might be those opportunities for a few more turnovers. But yeah, it, it's it's a tough game and I suppose yeah, I I'd like to see a bit more expansion, but I'm I'm not sure it's it's necessarily going to come. So I'd be inclined to agree and, and think Ospreys will go into that favourites. Keen to to get your thoughts and talk about Rugby World Cup now, which you know, it's, it's kind of creeping up on us now that now the season is virtually at an end. You know, Gatlin will have a, a good idea of of the this you know the the core of that squad. Um, we're expecting an announcement this week, Tuesday, for the the kind of extended training squad. So where he'll kind of get an opportunity to look at to look at some of those um, some of those players in closer detail. Is there anyone, you know, any kind of newbies you're expecting to see in that 
in that kind of, I think we're expecting kind of 47, 48 men to be in, announced into it. Any kind of wild cards you expect to see in ASD? I don't think this is wild at all, but it's just, it's the Owen Lane show yeah. for me all the time. It's just Owen Lane, Owen Lane, Owen Lane, Owen Lane. I just can't see him not going in the final squad if he's fit. I can't see him. I can see him jettison. I can see Jonah Holmes and players like that being jettisoned quite easily in, in in favour of Owen Lane. I I just I, I, but there are obviously there are lots of other uh, can, players uh, right across positions. But I just I'm slightly obsessed about this. I don't know why. Yeah, I am. I you know it, there's something just so raw and he's so powerful and strong and yeah he's a, he's a fantastic finisher. As well, I, I don't think it's just his, you know, just his his strength that that is impressive. Whenever he gets a sniff, he backs himself to get to that try line, and I think that's something that that you really want to see in in a winger. And so, yeah, I'm I'm very very excited, and I, I'm you know, I'm sure he'll be in that squad on on yeah. Tuesday. I guess it's it's just the the versatility the versatility thing, you know, when you're only naming a a squad of I think was it 31 for the World Cup. When you're only naming a squad of that size, you're going to need players who can play in a couple of positions. Now, I know he's expressed a desire to play centre. Yeah. But the reality is he will be going on that as a, as a winger if he does yeah. get the nod in the, in the final squad. Um, so again, I, I don't know whether that, whether that is a potential drawback or not. Well, we've got a 10 of 15s potentially, haven't we really? That's, that's the other the thing that if Anscombe plays won't, you know, the, the, there's a lot. There are there are options at fifteen, and Josh has played there as well. Yeah, um, I'm not saying that he's going to be a World Cup starting fifteen by any means, but um, if it was to, if you were in crisis with sixty minutes to go, you know, sixty minutes mm. gone in a game, then at least there are players who could swap around. Uh, you know, you look back to it wasn't. They seem to have a the Welsh backs seem to have a good a good way of managing games when they have major injuries and uh, you know they've just shown that in the Six Nations and they showed it in the World Cup before haven't they as well and everything about Owen Lane seems to scream that he's a he's a Gatland player doesn't he he likes big yeah. wingers he likes strong wingers you know I think he likes he likes to see that level of confidence as well so on paper he looks like the kind of player that, that Gatland will want to get a closer look at and would like to have in that mix. Yeah, without a doubt. Who do, have you got anybody on your radar that you just feel dragons back row players? Uh, any uh, any sudden surprise? Any late surprises? Well, I, t- I don't think it is a late surprise, but I very much expect to see Aaron Wainwright going. Yeah, I, he just seems to be picking it. You know, again, another fantastic game yesterday. I think it is that confidence. He's another player who just does not seem phased by big games he seems to relish the opportunity and for a guy who's not been playing professional rugby for that long you know I could see him you know I, I think he's an out and out six in my opinion as well I know he played seven again yesterday and he's done a you know he's, he's done a bit across the back row but for me he is a six he just gets through so much work you know he's athletic he doesn't miss tackles and he, he throws in you know, he's a nuisance at the breakdown and throws you in a bonus turnover, which for me is the, is the blueprint of what you want in a in a six. So he's already proven that he can handle the 
you know, the rough stuff at, at international level. And he's been coming on in games, be it in the autumn or be it in the, in the Six Nations, coming on in games maybe only for 10 minutes, but having to put in a really big shift at the time in a game where one missed tackle will, will cost you the whole thing. So as tough as it is, like I could see him going, going to the World Cup at the expense of someone like Aaron Shingler, which would be, you know, which would be very, really disappointing because Shingler was again, kind of had that, that six shirt was his own until he got injured. So mm. yeah, the, the back row is, is just almost impossible to predict what's going to happen there. There's just so many, there's so many class players in there that it's just, it's too difficult to, to kind of choose and so many sevens. Yeah. That's, that's the area that I think is going to be particularly tough. And you'd expect, you know, Dan Lydia came on for, for the last couple of minutes of that game and we know how much Gatlin likes him. And, you know, talking about the blueprint of, you know, of a, of a no nonsense six, well, that, that is, that is Dan Lydia. And again, he's done it time after time and, Gatland has those players that he really trusts. So I think yeah, there's going to be he was playing him. He was playing him not long ago, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. yeah well, in the autumn. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah, there's there's going to be some big names who who miss out in the back row. So yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure I can see too many kind of too many coming from left field. You mentioned earlier the the scrum half battle is an interesting one. Mm. You know, I think Gareth, Gareth Davis and Thomas Williams are pretty much are pretty much safe. Whether we have Reese Webb parachuted in at some stage would be interesting to see. You know, presumably yeah. he's not going to be named on Tuesday, but he could well still make it there as, as we've, we've said before. But if he doesn't, then who that third choice is, is a, is an interesting one. Ali Davis obviously is the kind of, I guess the man in possession of that place in the squad. Yeah, you mentioned Lloyd Williams. I, I think he's, he's definitely worth a shout on on his current form. Um, I, I mean, I saw Wales online earlier this week mentioned Rodri Williams, and they they've named him in their Judgment Day combined fifteen. I mean, he's he's put in a shift this season. There's no denying it. But yeah. I, you know, I, I'd, I'd be loath to take him to the World Cup. Um, yeah. You know, he just he obviously it's under instruction, but he's just kicking the leather off the ball and. I, you know, I think if you, if you, if that's what you want from a, from a backup, well, you may as well have Ali Davis, who I think does it a little bit better anyway. So yeah, yeah, you know, I, I, I certainly can't see him making the final, the final squad. Maybe he'd sneak into the, he'd sneak into the, this selection. But, you know, I, I think, I think Lloyd Williams is, should be there ahead on merit if it was up to me. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Because does it feel, is it, does it feel a little like Thomas has been, not marginalised, but it feels a little bit like he's almost been played out of form, or mm. or there's something there that that there's a kind of the faith is not quite as strong as it was in January. I don't know. I mean, obviously he had the big the big chance he had was starting against France, and both him and Anscombe had you know had tough first halves. And passes weren't going to hand and we weren't getting rid of the ball. We weren't doing the basics right. And and I'm sure part of that was down to the conditions, but it was tough because then he, he got to try in the second half, was hauled off. And, you know, we didn't see a great deal of him thereafter. I don't had, know. I, we, had the, we had the Anscombe redemption. We didn't just quite have the Thomas no, we didn't. The redemption, did we? That's no, it. we didn't. But I think now that he's... 
I don't expect him to, you know, to be far away from that squad. And those games over the summer, that's where you do get an opportunity to to really impress. And and Gatlin's going to have them in, you know, in in the camp for a long time, yeah. which is which is where he always gets the best out of players. That's the exciting thing for Wales ahead of the World Cup for me is we've shown up really well under Gatland in two World Cups. Obviously, in 2011, where we had a fantastic chance to make the final. 2015 against you know, against the odds, getting out of that pool of death with our entire backline injured or the bulk of the backline injured. Mm. You know, I, I think he does get teams ready in such, and he's done it, done it with the Lions as well. When he's got the players for an extended period of time, I think he's really able to build, to go back to that point you made earlier about culture and mentality and, and sense of belief. He's really able to do that, which that's the really exciting thing about the World Cup for me is he's going to have these players for a long time. And, you know, I think if with a bit, he almost becomes a club coach now. He's going to go have them for so long that I think, you know, he gets that, he gets that opportunity to spend the time with them and really see what Thomas Williams is made about and see what happens when, you know, when Sean Edwards gives him a dressing down about his, uh, about his, his line speed or his, you know, the missed tackle that he's made in training and see how he responds to it. And that, that's where I think we're going to see, you know, we're, we're going to see exactly what Gatlin thinks of him. I'm really excited now. It's good, isn't it? <laughs> We've almost, we, uh, we should have started with this bit yesterday. We could have, um, I know. I, I just, as long as we can, let's just get the England, the stupid England and Ireland games out of the way and just go straight to the World Cup I tomorrow. Know. You'd be, t- you'd be tempted to, wouldn't you? It's, because it, it, we're likely to lose the the winning streak over that. If you were in charge, would you be looking to protect that winning streak, or do you have to just be more pragmatic and say? I would be. I'd. I'd I wouldn't quite do the Steve Hansen thing, which is wasn't he? Do you yeah. remember that he just, just buried the players in training and they could barely stand up in, in the on the on the field of play? They were so knackered. Uh, but I think you have, I, 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 we were talking again, uh, uh, you know, a lot of family talking about, uh, rugby yesterday, but we were just saying that you'd, you'd, ha- you'd have to just almost deliberately pick, uh, experimental teams in order to pre- uh, lose, you know, lose perhaps your record, but with the understanding that it's not, that wasn't, you know, the, it wasn't a, uh, it wasn't the full, the fully fledged version. I don't know. I think Warren will put them under more pressure than that. And I think that he'll play one game where it might be experimental and another game where there might be the full, come on, let's guys, let's put you under pressure. Let's see what you made of. I, don't, I guess that's his way, isn't it? Yeah. I, I think he'll be using these games as, as big training exercises. He realizes that there's, yeah, yeah. There, there is so much at stake now that, yeah, you know, would it be nice to maintain the, the winning record? Yes. Will anyone remember if we lost all four of them? No. It's, no. you know, you really have to kind of scratch your head and try and remember the games that we played in the warm-ups beforehand oh. because they matter from a, from a point of view of getting players match fit and trying out a few different combos. You know, they're, they're not, they're not full tests really. I know you do get a cap for them, but, but they're not. And, you know, so I, I, I think it'd be very pragmatic about it. It'd be nice to maintain that record, but in a way, you know, the, the big thing that's, uh, that's at hand here is, is making sure that the players get to the World Cup. And that's my biggest fear is having been in that stadium the day that, that Reese Webb and Lee, and Lee Halfpenny had their, had their World Cups ended before they began. It was, that was a tough one to take. And I know it could happen yeah. at any point, but 
you just don't want to see that happen. You don't want to see someone miss out because of injury in a in a friendly. And the fact is that there are going to be some people who are going to miss out, but it's got to be minimised. And and it, obviously Six Nations was superbly managed. Really, uh, you have to take it's not you know it's luck as well, but also good management, the combination of the two things. You know. Absolutely agree. Right. Well, yeah. a nice, exciting point to finish on. And there's going to be lots more chat about Rugby World Cup in the next few months on the Attacking Scrum podcast. We're hoping to put together some some special shows, which we'll be bringing you in the lead up to Rugby World Cup to get you as excited as even Yestin's getting, the most melancholic man in uh, in the whole of West Sussex. So East Sussex, even. There we go. Um, been a pleasure chatting to you, Yestin. Thank you very much, Chad. And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll catch up with you soon. And thank you very much indeed for listening as well. Uh, if you want to let us know anything about any of your thoughts about what we've just spoken about, please get in touch with us on Twitter at Attacking Scrum. Make sure you like the Facebook page and join the Facebook group, which is called Wales Rugby Fans. And we've also got an Instagram page as well, which is called Welsh Rugby Attacking Scrum. So they're all the ways for you to stay in touch with us. Lastly, big thanks to our sponsors at So Coffee Trades, and we'll be back to chat rugby with you very, very soon. Sports Social Podcast Network.